It be too late to alter course, matey. And there be plundering pirates lurking in every cove. And mark well me words, matey. Dead men tell no tales. <laughs> the code is more what you call guidelines than actual rules. Welcome aboard the Black Pearl. Welcome to the Pirates of the Caribbean Minute, a daily podcast where we analyze, scrutinize, and plunder Pirates of the Caribbean films one blimey minute at a time. I'm Scott Artis from Journal.com. And I'm Heather Artis from BlackPearlMinute.com. Thanks for joining us for Minute 52 of The Curse of the Black Pearl. Adam, our super listener and pirate consultant, gave us a little inside scoop on the Pirates of the Caribbean ride. We were providing some tidbits all last week in honor of the 50th anniversary of the Disneyland ride. And in one episode, we were discussing the beginning of the ride in the Blue Bayou. Is that what it was called? The Blue Bayou? Oh, she brought us the information and now she's questioning herself. Anyways, I think it was the Blue Bayou. And the old timer on his porch. Banjo music is playing Camp Town Races amongst the sounds of nature and all the bayou kind of stuff. It's really an excellent setting. And I believe I said the guy on the porch was actually playing the banjo, but that's not actually correct. The music is coming from inside the stilted home. But Adam said it has a connection to the pirate and privateer John Lafitte. So thanks to Adam, I had to lock Heather in the brig all weekend and let her out only when she had some details to share about this. So do you have anything about this John Lafitte and the ride? Do you have anything, Poppet? I do remember a few things and checked my Pirates of the Caribbean source book. And yes, Adam is correct. The ride does have a link to John Lafitte. The intention of this this Blue Bayou beginning is that it provided a spiritual and geographical link to Lafitte's backwoods hideout in the Spanish Main. Yeah, so I knew that you had read something about it. And thanks for Adam for bringing it back up so she could actually get back on point with where we were going with the whole thing and having to share the ride. Now we have to have listeners doing all our legwork here. I was reminiscing as a kid wondering where and how this all fit in, but... This was kind of that vital piece of information of where it actually goes and why we're starting at this particular section. So it does have this whole pirate theme behind it that takes us into the beginning of the ride. And John Lafitte was a French pirate and privateer in the Gulf of Mexico in the early 19th century. By 1805, he operated a warehouse in New Orleans to help disperse the goods smuggled by his brother Pierre Lafitte. And after the United States government passed the Embargo Act of 1807, everybody remember what the Embargo Act of 1807 is? Oh, yeah. I guess we're good to go then. The Lafitte's moved their operations to an island in Barataria Bay. Barataria Bay? I'm not really sure. I've actually never heard of this place before. Louisiana, in any case. I should ask our friends over at Goonies Minute who are from Louisiana. Maybe I'll bring that up and see if they can shed some light on that for me. Maybe they have some information about that. But anyways, by 1810, their new port was very successful. The Lafitte's pursued a successful smuggling operation and also started to engage in piracy. There's a few interesting bullet points about them as well. In return for legal pardon for the smugglers, Lafitte and his comrades helped General Andrew Jackson defend New Orleans against the British in the final battle of the War of 1812. They also became spies for the Spanish during the Mexican War of Independence and moved to Galveston Island, Texas, where they developed a pirate colony they called Campeche. Lafitte continued attacking merchant ships as a pirate around Central American ports until he died circa 1823 or so, trying to capture a Spanish vessel. And speculation about his life and death continues among historians to this day. So it's really interesting how we see 
pirates and privateers in this kind of mixture of them establishing businesses, getting rid of their goods and dispersing them. So they really hovered on this, yeah, we're legitimate, we're not legitimate. They kind of flowed back and forth. And I think it was really about the money too, because they ended up making deals with the government and they were accepting pardons, they were helping, and then they were attacking merchant ships. It really was just like this crazy time, it seems like. Just a bit. Just a little crazy. Well, you know, it's, yeah, good comment, Heather. Well, she really nailed that one. We'll give her the golf clap for that. But it's really interesting. It's almost like you see these, almost maybe akin to some American mafia stuff and their connection to some legitimate businesses, but there's really some undertones and it's really a front for all their other legal activities. Or maybe they're just even in it for the money and able to to establish some of these businesses to help the income come in. And like I said, they can then spread the money around and launder it and all that. The pirates were really kind of that forefront to to doing that. At least that's what it seems like, especially with the Lafitte's, you know, establishing some of these businesses and they're just shipping out their smuggling goods. And it <laughs> reminds me of Black Sails, where we're seeing some of that same stuff in Port Royal, that it's kind of that pirate colony. They're bringing in the goods uh-huh. or they're remat they're repackaging them or making sure their barrels aren't bloody and all that to explain it. And then they're just shipping it out. So it's this real weird hybrid of legitimate, non-legitimate businesses are just liquidating stolen goods. Right. So I was going to say class dismissed, but I forgot it's Monday. So that means Heather is going to hit us with the pirate word or phrase of the week. She doesn't give us a worthy lesson. I'm definitely going to blast and burn her bones today. She didn't disappoint my inner buccaneer last week. So I have no idea where things are going to go today, actually. So it'll be a surprise for all of us. I was also thinking I really need to come up with a short music beat to accompany our pirate friend introduction for this segment. But maybe I'll do that another time when I'm feeling more creative. Yo, ho, ho, and a bottle of rum. So how about I just say, what do you have for us today, Heather? You're a dirty, filthy bilge rat. (laughs) I don't think that's the pirate word or phrase of the week. I think she's actually just calling me that. I am. <laughs> <laughs> That's for the whole Lafitte incident, calling exactly. her out and putting her on the spot. <laughs> I think we can kind of guess, but do you have any background information on this? So it's basically an insulting name given to a pirate. And it's. You know, I think it's not just an insulting name given to a pirate, but to anybody. To anybody, if you're yeah. That. It's a rat living in the bilge of a ship. It's considered the lowliest creature by pirates. But many pirates take to eating the animal to survive. Well, if you're stuck on a ship or you have no food and you're looking for a little meat action, bilge rat Cook sounds up like some a rat. plan. Yeah, bilge rat. We can check with some of our pirate correspondents like Adam and see, hey, are you guys eating any bilge rats? And see what he <laughs> says. If he's tried any, you can let us know. Not that we want you to eat bilge rats, Adam. No. But... Apparently, that is on the menu if you're stuck at sea. And I think that there's probably a lot of things on the menu when you're stuck at sea that you're going to eat that you wouldn't normally eat. But you got to do what you got to do to survive, I guess. I guess. Well, I can't believe you actually hit us with some dirty, rotten scoundrel kind of thing again. Well, you know what? Ah! Tire your smack. (laughs) Smack? It was loving endearment is what it was. Oh, no. Well, I think that's a good one. Build rat's something I can use. And for all you out there. we can call you all week. I don't think we want to do that. But for everybody out there who's looking for a nice term for their boss, we have another... Or their spouse. <laughs> or your spouse, that's true. We have another good contender this week. So <laughs> feel free to use that and let us know how it goes for you. We don't endorse it if you're doing it to your boss, but let us know how it goes. 
In the previous minute, Captain Jack Sparrow told Will Turner that he could either accept his father was a pirate or he can't. Will, having some time to ponder the question while practicing his presidential fitness test challenge of hanging from the boom, realizes the only viable choice to save Elizabeth is to go with Jack to Tortuga and forego the other alternative of dropping into the ocean and drowning. The rum, the ladies of the night, the brawls, the gunfights. And no, this isn't a day in the life of Heather. This is actually Tortuga. As Jack and Will walk the streets of this chaotic town, Captain Sparrow introduces them to the sweet, proliferous bouquet. Minute 52 begins with Jack and Will continuing to walk the streets in conversation. Jack steals a silver-capped walking stick from a fellow pirate, officially breaking up a fight, or at least a caning, I should say. And all the while, a voluptuous wench sits drinking on some barrels, occasionally pouring rum on the drunk pirate below her. Jack tells Will that if every town in the world were like this one, no man would ever feel unwanted. The minute ends with Captain Jack Sparrow and Will Turner waking Gibbs from his slumber with a couple of pigs with a nice cool bucket of water. Captain Jack Sparrow says, The man who did the waking buys the man who was sleeping a drink, and the man who was sleeping drinks while listening to a proposition from the man who did the waking. Gibbs says, I. I'm not sure if he got that. I'm not sure if he really understood that, but we can actually talk about that saying here in a second. I just have to say... Hey, Gibbs has made his triumphant return. I mean, we need to like cue the fanfare, have a marching band. I mean, it really is some good times. Gibbs, the epitome of pirates and pirate speak, is making back (laughs) into the show. And we're only at minute 52, so we had him in the beginning, and now we're having him kind of back in the middle here. He's here, all his pirate glory, and then we find him sleeping off what I can only imagine is a (laughs) rum-induced hangover with a couple of pigs, or three pigs, I should say. What better entrance is that, though? First, you have him in the fog, this unnatural fog, burning merchant ship. Then we have him with pigs. It's pretty crazy stuff there. Yeah, he was military, and now he's sleeping with the pigs. Yeah, I mean, he looked rather comfortable, actually, I mean, it seems to me. In this, So I'm, I'm guessing that this is like a regular occurrence for him. <laughs> it's maybe, like <laughs> Maybe he enjoys the company of pigs. Well, it's possible. They, they are don't the smart, fight. They, are, they do say that they're one of the smartest animals out Probably there. Probably nice right? and warm. It's like, why spend your pieces of eight on a room and board when a pigsty is free and you have the extra cash to keep the rum flowing? You just roll around in the mud and... Yeah, it's, it's perfect. Since we mentioned pigs, maybe we should just get the animal actors out of the way. I mean, that is a top priority usually of ours is to talk about the animal actors. Yes. And then we can do that before we actually get to the nitty gritty of the minute. Or is... Talking about pigs in this scene, nitty actually, gritty. the nitty-gritty. <laughs> I'm starting to think that anyone spending time on the background animal actors is probably going way beyond the nitty-gritty. It's like the nitty-nitty-gritty, if that even makes sense. The pigs. We'll just call them the pigs. They don't have any names. They're just pigs. They're brought in. There's Aww. three large pigs that are sleeping in the barn, or this kind of lean-to kind of thing. And Gibbs is lying on one of them, also asleep. Jack and Will enter, and Jack throws a bucket of water on Gibbs to wake him up. You can see that at least one of the pigs shake their heads as some of the water splashes onto them, but it didn't seem to bother them too much as they remain lying down and even drifting back off to sleep as this scene finished filming. So this is some background information from the trainers and actually from the Humane Society stuff. That whole no animals were harmed in the making of this film, so they have a record of, of what actually happened there. And so the trainers made a bed out of mud and hay for the pigs to lie in. The pigs were brought... To the set right before filming began, they laid down in the prepared bed without even being asked to. 
and when they were nice and comfy, the director called the actor to lie down beside them. So the pigs came in, didn't really care what was going on, <laughs> said, hey, look, at they made a nice little hay bed for us, and they're going to go to sleep. And apparently this was fairly early in the morning, like three or so in the morning. I think it was three. Yeah, and the... And Gore Verbinski, before he could actually roll the film and get the scene going, actually had to get the okay from the trainers. Like, okay, they're nice and settled down. Then Gibbs actually goes in there and then takes a peek. Or at least Kevin McNally goes in there, lays down, and then they start the film rolling right away to get that going. Quite the process, I guess. Yeah. And then we also hear some horses. And we saw some horses in the previous minute pulling a carriage. And we hear some here. I forgot to mention the horses last time. We saw them really in kind of more of what could be considered a precarious situation, or at least appears to be somewhat of a precarious situation. I thought it was interesting because that's when it was a few battle sequences. And I think maybe during the Port Royal siege from the Black Pearl, yeah, that the guns were actually loaded with quarter loads to avoid spooking the horses. So it's cannons and then also the muskets. So that way that you weren't having full loaded right. your gunpowder in the guns going off to really spook the horses. So they just did like a 25% load on that. Huh. Also, the smoke was non-toxic, and then it was used sparingly by production. So all the smoke that you have billowing out and, and filling the scene and that kind of smog and smoke stuff yeah, was non-toxic, which... I don't know if it was just for the horses, but I'm sure the actors were pretty happy about that, too. <laughs> you know, all these actors are running around... No, no, in the scene with the horses, it's non-toxic. But you guys, <laughs> we're doing the full, yeah, we're doing different. the full toxic stuff there. <laughs> so as soon as the scenes were filmed, then the animals were taken off the set and then out into fresh air. So good for the horses. But Not the, the horses were escorted out. We'll get them some fresh air. But the people in there, they're like, no, 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 we got hours more to go. Just hang on. You'll be because even Elizabeth talked earlier about all the smoke there and how it was just penetrating everything. And I think you were talking yeah. about how that smoke and how just black they everything. were after exactly it took forever to get the blackness off them. And so they cared about the horses, which is good. And the people that's their own yeah. choices at that yeah. point. I guess that's how you look at it. They're there, you're paid well, <laughs> yeah. And then the horses are like, hey, you know, they're not really getting anything out of this, so we'll just escort them out. But at least they're taking care of the people, <laughs> or I mean, the horses, people they don't care about. It's more authentic, too, when you have people just keeling over. That extra really just died. He died of the smoke. It's real life stuff going on here. Next so, you know, we'll have actor activists out. <laughs> exactly. So I guess we can continue just, just to kind of start in the way that the minute goes. We're hit with Scarlett and Giselle. And this is when Jack and Will finished kind of doing their walking the streets thing. And we have Jack Sparrow get slapped a couple of times. This is like in true Jack Sparrow fashion. And I think it seems appropriate that he gets a couple of slaps here. You know, when I think about it and trying to think back when I first saw the movie, I wasn't really expecting it when I first saw him get slapped in the movie. You know, he just thinks she was going to come up and kiss him. Well, I don't know what I thought or something because he just seemed to be like this ladies man kind of character this ladies man pirate if you will yeah you know the embellished stories and you know he because he really has a way of trying to get what he wants out of things yeah and i just figured that was maybe what was going to happen and then maybe he is and maybe that's the problem well well why he got smashed that is i that's definitely the problem but i just figured that there would be some of these ladies that would be coming back it's like hey you know he's come back to tortuga where have you been all this time and then they're fawning over him but they didn't they really just slap him around <laughs> and i think that's what made the scene work cuz it wasn't that expected reaction or at least it wasn't for me yeah 
And then I was wondering, what happens if he actually goes back to Singapore? <laughs> when he was talking about, you've never been to Singapore to Mulroy and Murtaugh and yeah. talking about women. So I can only imagine that he's in for a lot of slappings when he goes back to Singapore Probably. as well. Because you're right, the ladies' man, but he's really too much of a ladies' man, and he's just getting slapped around. Because even yeah. Giselle says, who is that? That's her first reaction. Yeah. Like, what? I'm not the only one? Yeah. She goes around and slaps him. But he owns it, too. It's not like he even tries to make an excuse to Will. He does maybe with the first one. I'm like, I'm not sure I deserve that. Yeah, but he then the second why, one, he's like, yeah, I deserve he that. He didn't know why Scarlet smacked him, but... Giselle, he knew why she smacked him. I'm starting to wonder if he really did. So the first time he was playing it off, like, I can't imagine what this was for. And by the second one, he's like, yeah, there's no way I can sell this to Will. I just got to say, yeah, I deserve that one. <laughs> and Scarlet, she's the redhead that we see Slapjack first. She was based on the redheaded winch in the auction scene of the Pirates of the Caribbean ride attraction at Disneyland. And she's commonly referred to as the redhead. When she was adapted into the Pirates films, the character was given the name Scarlet because of her red hair. Did you have any information? I know you're kind of the pirate ride, or at least you've been given that duty of trying to link the pirate ride tonight. Whether that was a smart decision on my part is yet to be seen, John Lafitte, but at least for now, she's still in that <laughs> helm there. So what do you have there? Adam, be prepared. Let us know what's going on. <laughs> so actually, when Xavier, you Atencio. know, Atencio created this scene in the, the auction scene in the ride. Yeah. There was actually a lot more dialogue than is in the ride now. I see. He had it. I mean, there were heckler pirates who were talking about the redhead and saying that her father was a tax collector. Her mother sings opera. And so that these she are... smokes cigars. So wait, and... wait a second. Wait, you can't go on with that. So are you saying that, I mean, tax collector, I can see, but is that an insult? I guess. That you're... Your mother's a tax, or your father's a tax collector. It's like, how dare you? I, I know tax collectors weren't necessarily favored people. I mean, especially if you kind of look back at Sherwood Forest, Robin Hood, the tax collectors were always kind of the evil doers of the, of the king or the crown. Right. So I'm taking it as that, you know, that's just an insult to be, your father's a tax collector. And then your mother was, what was? Sings it? opera. I don't know how that's an insult. <laughs> I have no, no clue. No sings opera. <laughs> and then you have that she smokes cigars. That must be just... Because she's a hardened woman maybe or maybe. something? Maybe. They were trying to discourage the others from trying to buy her because they wanted her. I see. So they were throwing out these insults. I can think of a thousand things worse than just smoking <laughs> cigars for a woman, but especially at this time. And I know we'll talk about bathing and some of the things here, maybe some historical stuff. So yeah. Cigar smoking is not necessarily the the top of the list <laughs> to get other pirates. <laughs> and she don't drink. Yeah, see? Oh, see, that can make sense, though, because pirates want somebody that's going to drink with them. Yeah. And if she's not drinking, then they're going to think that she's just, she's going to cut them off, and then they won't be able to have drink in the house. You right. Know? You can't have that, for sure. And you also had, they also had when the auctioneer's doing his, he, he used to talk faster and more auctioneer-like. I see. And but you during that time you also had animals kind of going along with him making their noises and so it was a lot of noise I, uh -huh. and then you had the pirates heckling you know and it was just a lot of stuff for the minute that you're in the scene to be able to understand yeah or at you least capture it all there was just too much and so they couldn't comprehend everything that's right. going on it's already could be somewhat difficult to just get a visual and see everything yeah. 
And so they kind of slowed down the auctioneer and cut out a lot of the chatter and the animals and that kind of stuff to make it more so you can understand it more. Well, that makes sense because, yeah, the last thing you want, you want to be able to understand it, but you also want to be able to see that there is an actual town setting going on. Yeah. So there's a happy middle place that is too much. You know, you have kind of that spectrum. There's too much or there's too little going on. You really do want to sell it as a scene that's actually happening in Tortuga, especially what we've seen in Tortuga, or actually I think that's Porto Dorado. But here in Tortuga, from all the craziness going on, you kind of want to have that going on there as well in that ride scene. Right. It also says that they had wolf whistles, people whistling at her or oh. at there. And they also had a guy snoring, but his snore sm- sounded like the, the, the whistles. Oh, did it? <laughs> yeah. Well, in old cartoons, you'd always see them whistling yeah, they, while they're snoring. Yeah, yeah. So that's a little bit about would have had. Yeah. But they kind of cut it back so that you can understand. Well, you have to. Yeah, like they're I not said, in there very long. You have to do make it so you can understand what's going on. That's part of the fun is to actually hear what they're saying. Yeah, it says less than a minute, actually, that you're in that scene. Huh. Sometimes it's weird because when I, you think back, it seems so long. But then when you actually get in there, that, say, 15, 16 minutes that you're in the ride goes by really, really quickly. Yeah. And all of a sudden you're done and you're just like, I can't believe that this went by so quick. Right. You thought that I could be in here 30 minutes. Well, there's so much to look at on both sides of the boat. And you just can't, like we were saying before, you just can't get it all in one they ride. Should have a, they should have two versions. The original kind of quick 15, 16 minute version. And then they should have the hardcore like, you're in there for an hour. <laughs> it's just a slow boat ride. You're going through. Maybe they expand it and extend it. You actually get lunch. You get some bilge rats cooked up because you think you're all going to be in there forever and you can't get out. That's what they should do. There you go. I'm going to propose it. Or you can Disney. walk it. There's a way to walk it. Yeah. You know, see? you can get in the boat for the short ride, but then you can, they made a little pathway so you can walk There's, through the whole thing. You'd have to make sure that people couldn't hide out because you know that there'd be people all of a sudden you go, that guy really <laughs> looks real that's running around there. That'd be kind of funny. Yeah, exactly. All these real people hanging out in there. But Scarlet was portrayed by Lauren Mayer in The Curse of the Black Pearl. She comes back in Dead Man's Chest and At World's End. And then she's also in the short film Wedlocked, which was in 2011, which we're going to cover as a bonus episode. Probably after we finish up with this, but that is a short that carries on and tells some of the behind the scenes story about the film. And so there's some important revelations that happen there that'll be fun to talk about with everybody. Yeah. I don't have much of a backstory for her, at least Scarlet, but there has been an appearance of her in the Legend of Jack Sparrow video game. And some relatives of hers pop up in the Pirates of the Caribbean online game. And those are Millie Cuts, which is her sister, and Hendry Cuts, which is the brother-in-law. And I don't really have any background information, nor did I really want to dive into their backgrounds because it does they're not really part of the movie. But right. they are, in the expanded universe, kind of branching out on some of these characters and, and mm. providing more detail. So I don't have much in terms of her acting resume, at least when I say that, that, that applies to us here in Pirates of the Caribbean or pirate films. But Mayer's other work in film includes Festival Favorite, The Decay of Fiction, award-winning romantic comedy Girl Play, and Mind Forest. I haven't seen any of those, so I can't really comment on it. Really? You haven't seen... What was the second? Mind Forest, no. No, the one before that. Girl, Girl Play. Play. You haven't no. seen Girl Play? I have not, so... Oh, I'm, sh- I'm shocked. Yeah. She also starred in numerous short films, including Solo Act, Century Game, and Seafood Heaven. So there you go. Wow. That's our redhead Scarlet. Then we have Giselle, our blonde who slaps Jack 
And she's the one who delivers the blow that he says... He deserves. He deserves, yeah. Or he may deserve. He probably deserves. Which means whenever you say that, you know you deserved it. Yeah. So not much is known about her past, but when I say that, I guess I should qualify because I think I said that with Scarlet, and I have at least more on Giselle than I do Scarlet. She lived in the Caribbean in the 1740s, and this fits our timeline that we see here. And as a prostitute, she met and befriended the notorious pirate Jack Sparrow, who became to her more than just a client. I do have some more of that information, as I said, but I'm going to hold off until we actually do that bonus episode that's Tales from the Code Wedlock. Because I don't want to break down her character because then it reveals so much about this other bonus episode mm-hmm. and this other short film. Then yeah. we're getting into that here and it just doesn't make any sense. Other than we know that she, she is a prostitute here and she really got connected up with Jack. So we'll just save that stuff until we have our bonus episode or bonus series of episodes. So for now, I'll just leave that about Giselle. Okay. I do have that the name Giselle was chosen as a classic sounding British name that matched Scarlet. So that's where they went with that. That's what they chose that for. Giselle was portrayed by Vanessa Branch in The Curse of the Black Pearl. And she also comes back like Scarlet did in Dead Man's Chest and At World's End and then also Tales of the Code Wedlocked. Vanessa Branch has a bit more acting credits to her name than we had, say, with Lauren. But some of the pirate related things or at least things that maybe we've talked about are related to what we've done here... One of those is note is Dante's Inferno, which was an animated epic. And we discussed that during the Fort Charles prison cell scene with Twig and Keeler. We went, dove into the whole nine circles of hell and yes. all that stuff that we were talking about and how that curse related to everything. And then there's also a mix of movies, TV series, one-off episodes, and video games that she did with that. So there you go. Now you're up to speed on Scarlet and Giselle, at least for right now, until we do our bonus episode. Well, thank you. Now we can get to what... Everybody wants to talk about is Gibbs. Or is that just me that wants to talk about Gibbs? No, I want to talk about Gibbs. So there's no doubt in my mind that Gibbs is full on superstitious. Oh, yeah. So we saw that and we actually made that declaration in the beginning after we went through a bunch of different things that he was superstitious about. Bad luck. We talked about all of those. Here, we see him again after all this time and he hits us with another one. I mean, he's either the author of the big book of superstitions or he's the biggest fan of superstitions of the book or whatever. But he's got something not just for the water, but things that are even on land that bring bad luck. So I thought maybe all his bad luck stuff was about sailing, but no. No. It's anywhere. This guy really is. bad luck. Yeah. So basically, if you don't remember, he actually says it's bad luck. I don't remember the exact line, but it's bad luck to wake a man when he's sleeping or something to that effect, right? Yes. He just says it's bad luck. To wait, I'm sure, assume, oh, because he just says it's bad luck? Yeah. So, essentially what we're saying is... It, it says, it says, you should know better than to wake a man when he's sleeping. It's bad luck. Isn't that what I just said and you said no? Yeah. Do you even know what's going on over there? Yeah. I think she's petting Banjo who's in the studio today. <laughs> no. She'd rather pet Banjo. She's like, oh, nice Banjo. No, as I'm opposed trying, to actually doing stuff. keep him quiet. Anyways, he says it's bad luck to wake a man when he's sleeping. Especially sleeping. I would sleeping. sleeping. But I think with a bucket of water, it's bad luck or it's bad juju to wake anybody with a bucket of water. Because you could yeah. especially a pirate, because all hell could break loose with that. <laughs> I mean, Jack's lucky he knew that guy, because I think there would be some serious fighting going on. Maybe that's actually what happened in Tortuga. We see all the fighting. Everybody woke everybody's everybody. waking everybody with buckets of water and they're just all ticked off now. <laughs> So yeah, more superstitious Gibbs. That's about what we see with him. Right. Exactly. And that's his character. He's, that's he's how his mind works. Bad luck. 
And then we actually just have that really plays into how Gibbs thinks and how his mind works. And like I was saying, he's suddenly he's suddenly awakened by a bucket of water, yet he has the clarity to decipher this verbal tongue twister from Jack. <laughs> I mean, his comprehension skills are just awesome. I mean, he's probably used to all the rum, and maybe he even operates better while drunk than maybe sober. And I could have just actually easily pictured him saying, what the hell? Or giving him the what the hell look after he's saying the man who's going to... The man who did the waking buys the man who did the sleeping a drink. And the man who was sleeping drinks while listening to a proposition from the man who did the waking. Can you? I mean, so imagine if you've just been, you were asleep and a bucket of water comes on and now, and you probably yeah. had a long night drinking and then somebody hits You're you about, with that. What? That's what I'm saying. You give him the what the hell look. <laughs> well, it took him a minute. He goes, I. I mean, he's also... Probably used to the way Jack speak or Jack speak, if we want to call it that. So maybe he doesn't have a problem following along with some of this. But I think anyone else with a rum blood level that high would probably think they were hearing some double. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're not seeing double, they're hearing double. Then we also have a couple of great Gibbs quips, if I can call them that, that I noted in this minute. One of them was, curse you for breathing, you slack-jawed idiot. <laughs> that is awesome. Yes. So that's another, if you want to have your pirate word or phrase of the week, there you go. You can tell your boss to just, he's a slack-jawed idiot. Then we also have Mother's Love, which I thought was really interesting that he says, he uses it as a, like a blimey or what the heck, you know, Mother's Love. Yeah. It was really interesting. And I started to look this one up, but I was getting so many hits for poems about mothers and love. I actually abandoned ship on this. This is a pirate's podcast for God's sakes. And I was getting swamped with lovey-dovey stuff. I thought I'm a Heather here. My pirate mojo is going away. Why do I want to hear Mother's Love poems? It's like, no, I tried all kinds of different ways to start to do this and everything was coming back and I started to fine tune it a bit, but I thought I am going down so deep a rabbit hole that I'm going to be sharing love poems about moms out here on the radio here. Did you find a really good one and send it to your mom? No, I didn't. Well, that's a little rude. That was not the pirate. The pirate wouldn't do that. I had I was channeling pirates at the time and it was really bringing me down. I thought... <laughs> You know, I started crying and I thought, what is going on here? No. Oh, no. I got to be pirate action. And so I just abandoned ship. I'm like, ah, I'm definitely not looking up mother's love anymore as a pirate saying. Maybe that's actually, I probably didn't list mother's love as a pirate saying. I was just really looking for the origin of it. And it was really like your mother's love and all this kind of crazy stuff. So yeah, Gibbs hit me with that. I'm just going to say he made it up. He knows what he's talking about and leave it there. (laughs) It's like a sketchy search on the internet. You go, I know I shouldn't be typing this in because there could be a whole lot of other things that are going to happen. That was mother's love. I was afraid I was going to get some viruses on my computer. (laughs) (laughs) There's also an interesting development at this minute. And as we know and what we've been talking about, we have our one and only pirate Gibbs back. Mother's love. (laughs) But did you notice that we don't get a reason why Gibbs went pirate. We talked quite a bit about that when answering a listener question a while back. You know, we were going into the whole, what yeah. do we think about Gibbs? And we talked about how maybe it was drinking, a problem with authority, and then how he had a pirate backstory or connection to pirates, and even Jack Sparrow and Jack's father. And so that was some of the stuff that played into our thoughts. But it's just something for the audience that's left here by the writers to piece together themselves and come up with their own theory based on what we've seen with Gibbs so far, maybe some of that stuff that happened on the Dauntless and this whole kind of beginning scene that we see as him as a naval man 
and his drinking problem with authority and all that stuff. But yeah, we don't really get any explanation. It's just, he's a Navy guy, now he's sleeping with pigs. Yeah. Well, we kind of came to the conclusion that he didn't belong as a Navy guy. Oh, well, definitely not. You know, so it eventually figured this out. You know? Yeah, that, that's why I think it works, is yeah. because the audience is smart enough to say this guy yeah. is not a naval guy. No. So I, I think you probably would have been more shocked, actually, if you still saw him wandering around. With Norrington? Yeah. He'd be, like, <laughs> be Norrington's right-hand man. <laughs> yeah, that wouldn't have worked. And so this no. somehow just works, and the audience knows that, okay, yeah, this, this guy is definitely a pirate at heart. Yeah. Writers, bravo on knowing your audience and how to make that happen. <laughs> and then, by the way, I heard Kieran Knightley and Jack Davenport talking about this Gibbs sleeping with a pig scene, and they referred to him as Badger McNally. What is that? I wonder if it's like a scrappy nickname. Badger. Call me Badger. That's huh. my new nickname is Badger. If so, that's a winner. Badger McNally. Oh, it's Bildrat. No, Badger. Not my, my obviously my name is not Badger McNally or Kevin McNally. I said Badger. You said McNally. call me Badger. Well, you can call me Badger. No, I'm sure. calling you Bill Drat. I don't know if I like Bill Drat to be honest with you. <laughs> Thank you for being honest. <laughs> but Badger is a a good like I said scrappy hearty nickname. Yeah. It's like Bootstrap. But how do you get that nickname? They didn't you know, explain. They, they just... didn't explain, and I went online to see if I could find. A reference to Badger McNally. Yeah. And like I said, I didn't spend two hours. I spent an hour and 45 minutes. No, I just spent a little time doing a quick search. I didn't really come up with anything. So I thought it was a lead that I wasn't going to really find. I know I'd go down some of these roads sometimes and spend way too much time like with signage. So I figured I'd save my time for wasting on signage, trying to track down signage here in in the film. And going nowhere than actually trying to find a nickname for Kevin McNally, which they said Badger, which was... Who knows if they made it up on the spot, if it's real. If anybody knows, just shoot us a note. We'll, we'll be happy to share that. But yeah, I thought it was a pretty cool nickname for him. Yeah. Kind of fits. Mm-hmm. Especially like you said that he, you know, this is his real beard. He grew that out. He really sells that character. I wanted to mention the, the pig scene in the ride in my book. You mean your awesome transition of, wow, talking about Badger McNally. That you know, it reminds me of the pig scene where he's sleeping with them. And there's a great connection to the ride. Is that what you meant to say? That is. I have a tough time with those transitions, you know? Yeah. Thanks for the assistance. Her transitions are like the generic, the white, the old generic like cereal boxes, the white box with black lettering. She says, I wanted to talk about pigs. <laughs> In the Pirates of the Caribbean from the Magic Kingdom to the Movies by Jason Sorrell, that book. Yeah. There's a quote or there's a little line in here. It says, basically, you have this rum drinking man that's lying in the mud with the only creatures in town that will consort with him. (laughs) A trio of squealing pigs, their legs twitching in contentment. I thought that was kind of funny. That little. Well, it's it's pretty cool, actually, because you it really sums up, I think, with what you think about some of the pirates, at least in the ride. And even in this movie, you expect, I wouldn't necessarily expect Gibbs to only be able to consort with pigs, but with the people <laughs> on the ride when you're going through, you go, that makes sense. Yeah. You yeah. see that guy with the pigs? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, the ride really has a lot of inspirational moments that I think really play well with the movie. It's not just about inserting any reference from the ride. 
but it really helps build kind of the character where you see because when you think of Gibbs sleeping with the pigs it's I know we were joking about it and saying that you know he's he's not using his money to use for room and board or to buy food and all this but to save it so he can actually buy more rum yeah but in actuality you know kind of that inference what we get from someone anyone like Gibbs sleeping with the pigs and this kind of talks about maybe his movement or loss of employment if you want to call it that from the navy maybe he was kicked out maybe he left and we like i said we talked about that you can go back in future or past minutes and hear some of that talk is this connotation of maybe he's down on his luck he's sleeping with the pigs he's he's a drunkard and this is where the only place that he can find he doesn't really have regular employment doesn't have much money that he's you know except that he's spending on rum yeah and he's forced to sleep with the pigs you know he just doesn't (laughs) care Right. He's waiting for the next pirate opportunity to come along and just hanging out until that happens. And Jack wanders into his barn, his pigsty. <laughs> All he really needed to hear from Jack about the bat- remedying the bad luck about waking a man while he's sleeping is, I'm going to buy you a drink. He didn't have to go through all the colorful, cool right. language. He just said, I'm going to buy you a drink. And he would have been like, there we go. Yeah. The day's looking up for me. Okay, let's go get that drink. Exactly. So I think there is some cool connotation, again, that comes from the ride and then comes into this movie and plays well with the characters. Right. And some other interesting things that are kind of not necessarily ride related, but really actually make some behind the scenes thing stuff really intriguing and sells the whole idea that this is an actual place that's going on. So there's a lot of flyers that are behind women in this minute where Scarlett and Giselle come from. So Uh you see some other women, you see Scarlett standing there specifically and behind them... There's this, all these flyers like on a bulletin board. And then also, this is actually really the bride auction that's coming to fruition here. This is the bride auction on the in the movie. So it's mentioned a bit, but not something you really see manifest in the movie. And supposedly there's a banner in the background, but unless I missed it or maybe it was cut out, I didn't see anything or any banner that said bride auction or buy a bride. I didn't either. So... Apparently it was there, and that's according to the writers, but I didn't see it actually there. So there's that inference that this is the bride auction, but and that's basically mostly from the writers themselves. Right. So all these flyers, it's really like going to Starbucks and checking out the community bulletin board, as I was saying. And it's quite hard to make them out, but I saw a flyer for volunteer seamen. So they're looking for some volunteers that are willing to go out on the ships and, and serve aboard a ship. Then there's a couple of trials for pirates. I want to call them pamphlets or flyers. If I'm just calling them flyers because that's probably the closest thing we have to them. It's almost like a wanted poster in a way. Right. But a flyer. And the key piece being here is using the obsolete spelling of trial that says trial with a Y instead of an I. And then there's another one that I believe says trial indicted for piracy with an I. And so there's a tr- there's one that actually says trial with our current spelling. And then there's a couple of them that actually have this obsolete trial spelling. Huh. And then there looks like there's a poster that says a reward offered for somebody named Bailey. Yes, I did some checking on it. I couldn't let it go. And did. Heather saw me just standing inches from the television trying to zoom in, get everything I could from it. And... Then I went to the internet to see what I could find. And I didn't really find anything that was relating to what the props were for the movie here that we see. But I did find an uncanny likeness of these posters actually on the internet with some Google searches. And it was probably 
because they use these actually for inspiration to create these props or these flyers that we see here. Because it is really in the same format as the title page for the 18th century books about pirate trials. And one of those in particular was the trials of Captain John Rackham. And so it looks like the main pirate name has been removed from what we see in the films. But you can see there is a bullet point kind of list of pirate names on here. But it's not just something that we can easily decipher. It's just really kind of blurred out. And it definitely matches the look and feel of how these title pages were set up in these trials of pirates and the list of names here. So it was really cool to see these 18th century books, these of the time pieces that are these title pages that have been replicated or at least used as inspiration to form these notices that are on the wall or this bulletin board here in this community. It really is this nice, like authentic 18th century touch. And even if it is from a book and not necessarily a real pamphlet, poster, or flyer, I just I just thought it was really cool that That's... they did that. I just really wanted to see a, a nice clear shot of that. They probably don't because sometimes these things have like cast names, which is what I want to see, the Easter eggs. <laughs> I want to see that stuff. But no, I couldn't really make it out. As for the wanted poster, the reward offered poster for Bailey... I'm not sure if there really is a pirate connection to that. And I did just a very brief search and I didn't come up with like a, a Bailey pirate. So if somebody out there does know of a pirate that was named Bailey, that would be pretty cool to find out. So you can definitely let us know. But I was wondering if it was a reference to the old Bailey, which is the Central Criminal Court of England and Wales, which held jurisdiction over many piracy trials back in this time period. Oh, huh. So maybe it was a play on that. Yeah. They're in Tortuga, pirate run plays. You know, they're kind of a reward offered for Bailey or Old Bailey. Maybe it's just a nice play on words that they were doing for the film. Right. So that's all I got. I'm going to end on the history note and pirate trials. No death and destruction. No death and destruction. Wow. I mean, it's alluding to that because pirate trials means hangings and gibbeting yeah, and all that stuff. But, but I'm not actually going to go there. I'm just going to leave it as a happy go. Yay. Gibbs is back moment. I want to go back in time a moment. Oh, God. My God. What? When Jackson asks Will, what do you think about Tortuga? And he says, it'll linger. <laughs> is it the smell? Is it the visuals? Is it a combination of everything? I think it's the smell. The smell? Because he says it's He's a... looking down at the guy that's like just pouring the rum all over himself. Because that was... Well, actually, he says in this minute, but in the previous minute, there was a sweet, proliferous bouquet that right. is Tortuga. So he's talking about the smell. And when Jack says, what do you think about that? He says it'll linger because that place was probably a little rank. <laughs> Just a little. <laughs> yeah, actually, I think I mentioned that we were talking. We mentioned some bathing stuff, but I think that's actually in the next minute that yeah. we'll talk about that. So that was a spoiler. So you're really interested in a quick tidbit about bathing in the 18th century you better stick around you better come back tomorrow we're gonna cover that stuff we got bathing history for you yeah it'll be i mean it's riveting you might just even just stay put just keep your headphones on through All the night, night and then yeah just go 24 hours and then it'll pop up and you'll be ready to go <laughs> that's it for me what do you got that's it for me all right we'll be back tomorrow with minute 53 of the curse of the black pearl on the pirates of the caribbean minute until then, let's keep the horn swoggling to a minimum. Give me my grog, you build rat. <laughs> Thanks for joining us on Pirates of the Caribbean Minute. Have something to say? 
then give us a call at 8637-PIRATE. If you like the show, then do us a favor and leave a review on iTunes. We'd appreciate it, matey. You can also contact us at podcast at blackpearlminute.com. We just might feature your questions and comments on future episodes. Visit us online at blackpearlminute.com. You can also find us on facebook.com slash pirates of the Caribbean minute, twitter.com slash blackpearlmen, and on soundcloud.com slash pirates of the Caribbean, where we post additional content, have post-episode discussions, and share our favorite show clips. Now see you next time, scallywags. <laughs>